Hello, this is your host, George Muniz Gund. Welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neurodiversity. As I typically do, I wanted to start this episode by saying I am not a medical professional or a therapist. I cannot diagnose anyone. I am here just to share my thoughts as a neurodistinct autistic individual and, you know, just my experiences, my perspectives, um, my thoughts, and so on. I also always like to warn people that I have sensory processing disorder. Sometimes it takes a while for the brain uh, information to go from my brain into putting it into words. So I will be hesitating and stalling a couple times. There, there will be a few ums along the way, so bear with me, please. Um, you know, as I say, uh, it, this, this is uh, something that will, will happen every once in a while. Anyways, what I wanted to discuss today is ways that caretakers and educators can be more autism and neurodiversity affirming in this world now that we we have so much more information about autism, ADHD, neurodiversity in general. The, the conversation around these topics has been rapidly changing. And so, of course, this leaves a lot of people um, wondering what to do, you know, how to change their methods or, and such in order to accommodate neurodivergent individuals now that we're slowly, we're, we still have a lot of work to do, but we're slowly getting to the place where the the support needs of, of neurodivergent or neurodistinct individuals are being considered and, and valued and honored more than they were before. Um, and so I want to kind of, you know, give my thoughts, just, you know, this is me, my personal, based on my personal experience with autism, so it's not going to be reflective of every autistic person, of course, um, but based on what I've read from other autistic people, and the research and information that I've gathered to this point, I'm going to do my best to break down some ways that I feel are good neurodiversity inclusive ways. So here we go. <clears throat> I, I feel like the main thing we need to take into account when we're talking accommodations for neurodivergent individuals is sensory sensitivities. Um, so a lot of autistic people have in particular, um, but this could apply to neurodivergent people in general, have something that we call SPD, sensory processing disorder. And this is basically a very high sensitivity to um, certain stimuli such as flashing lights or really loud sounds. 
Um, and so uh, when the brain takes in too much of that information, uh, the person can go into sensory overload and if not enough is done to relieve that um, sensory overload, there can be a meltdown and um, during that meltdown, the person can engage in self-harming behavior. Um, so, you know, you want to avoid... We have to understand that meltdowns um, are not just a behavior. They're, they're that behavior of a meltdown is a symptom of something else, that something is causing the meltdown. Something is causing the autistic person to feel overwhelmed to the point that they are having a meltdown. Um, we always have to keep that in mind. And so sensory sensitivity, sensory overload is one of the main causes um, for meltdowns. Of course, it's not the only one. You also have other things. Emotional overload is another big one that gets overlooked sometimes. But um, uh, we have to talk about sensory sensitivities. Um, so the way to accommodate that best is... Um, First, you have to understand the sensory needs of each um, neurodivergent uh, client or student of yours um, and, you know, accommodate based on that. Like some people are less sensitive to these things. Some people are more sensitive to light. Some people are more sensitive to sound. It really varies a lot by person. So uh, you have to always keep that in mind. Um, and, uh, for someone, for, for instance, um, someone that, that has pretty high sensitivity to light or sound, for instance, you would want to have an environment with dimmed lighting, little or no sound if possible, um, maybe some kind of soothing, you know, sensory pleasing as we would call sound or sensory pleasing lighting um you know things that actually soothe the 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 sensory um uh part of the brain um of the autistic person or the neurodivergent person rather than trigger it in a negative way because there's a difference. There are things that are sensory pleasing and there are things that are sensory stressing or that can lead to sensory overload for us. Um, so for sure, the first thing to, uh, to cover is that, like make it a sensory friendly environment. Another thing that's really important for accommodating neurodistinct students or individuals is you have to allow them extra time to process information. Uh, a lot of us, you know, have, as I mentioned, have um, SPD, uh, and we need extra time to, to process what was said sometimes. It's not that we didn't understand. It's not that we don't care. It's not that we didn't absorb the information, but we just, it needs to settle in. It needs... Um, a little more time to settle into our brains. Um, 
but once it does, it's usually pretty cemented in there. So, and this, you know, I don't speak for everyone. This, this, this is going to depend on the person. It's going to depend on their support needs level. It's going to depend on a lot of things. Um, but for me, that's my experience. A lot of people, times, sometimes, you know, because I take a long time to process things, sometimes people will assume that I didn't understand or that I don't care or whatever the case may be. And the reality is I'm just, I got you, I understand, I'm listening to you, I'm just still processing that. Um, so another important thing to, to understand when you're working with uh, neurodistinct people is we have different ways of, well, we, we communicate in different ways in general and one of the 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 main ways where we communicate differently when you compare us to neurotypicals is we show empathy in different ways um one example of this in and this is just one example you know just for a sample here is uh we if someone is in distress if our classmate or friend or partner you know whoever is in distress and you know that we're next to them our inclination might be and this will also depend on each neurodistinct person but for in my case my inclination as a neurodistinct person with my own flavor of neurodistinctness is I will not go up to them and try to comfort them unless they tell me or unless I I have been told before by them that that is what they want in these situations. Because m me personally, with my own flavor of autism, I sometimes like to just breathe a little bit and process what I'm going through, like still have someone next to me, but not necessarily like, um, you know, right with me at that moment. Like I might want to let them kind of process, like be close to them, but let them process it a little bit. But I also honor, like, if they prefer that I comfort them right away, I will do that. It's not my natural style of doing it, but I will do it. And that's why I also appreciate it when people um, honor the other way as well. Um, but what's important to highlight here is those are two different ways of showing... Uh, empathy in these situations and neither one of these ways should be considered the right one they're just different ways um, and you know we, we just need to honor that and so like a lot of neurodistinct individuals will like have and this is one little example but they'll have these just these different ways of communicating and showing things so when you they do something that you find like odd or weird or questionable always stop yourself and think wait a second what's 
maybe this is like just the way they communicate like what's behind this like you know oh you know like they just remember like they communicate in different ways and and then you know you know it's easier to to understand um where they may be coming from instead of making premature judgments what's which which a lot of us would do just naturally by the way that we tend to um you know even neurodistinct like no people like no one is exempt from from doing that like i do that to myself like you know any um this isn't to throw blame anywhere anyways um i wanted to finish off with uh an example that i found really great that really was really powerful to me to me uh to read about uh of a professor in brazil that uh was able to accommodate one of his students or i, I think ultimately it was two two students of his that were diagnosed with adhd and um they basically had a hype the hyperactive kind of ADHD and so they needed to stim which is um stim is shorting stimming is short for self-stimulatory behavior it's basically when you need to move around or you know just kind of um rock your legs or just move around you need to to, to have some movement because the brain is operating at a much higher speed than um, neurotypical brains, and it needs um, stimulation of some sort. Um, so these students, of course, you know, in a traditional classroom setting, there's no space to move around. So um, there was this one particularly um, particular female student of his that. Um, scored poorly on the uh, test she got like 27 percent i believe and so he um she explained to him she explained to him that she had adhd and um you know uh that it was hard for her to um focus and she had a lot of hyperactivity and needed to stim a lot and and such and then the the prof the professor um decided to have a, a conversation about neurodiversity with the whole class, um and you know, kind of understanding like these the different ways that these neurodistinct brains work, and then um he provided an accommodation and they it came up that there was another student that also had ADHD and so what he did is he decided to provide an accommodation for them and he did that by um opening up space on the last row of seats um and uh you know desks um he opened up space so those students with the hyperactive ADHD could move around during uh in, in during class like they would be paying attention but they would be you know walking around in in that back row um and they were able to do this without you know 
throwing off anyone else. Like, everyone was aware of it. Everyone was very understanding, which is fortunate because it's not always the case. Um, but after he allowed them to do that, to have that extra space to move around, basically a neurodiversity-affirming accommodation for those students, after the next test, that student that had scored 27% on the first test scored 93%. And so that is just huge. That shows that's what was needed. Like, that was, it was one simple accommodation. And it improved that much. It's like, and that's what's so sad is that most schools, particularly um, in... particularly in um, lower-income countries, but even in uh, highly developed countries such as the United States, are not accommodating of, of those differences. And what they do is they separate the students um, and, you know, maybe they'll give them extra time or whatnot, but they, it's really harmful how they... Uh, separate those students uh, and they don't even let them you know it's like they're foreign specimens like no they're they're like every they're they're people like everyone else they they just have like you know sometimes they have more support needs and that doesn't mean that they're like different or special or oh my god like um you know, wrong or anything, like, they just have different support needs, and they should be accommodated, and sadly, a lot of times, there, there are no accommodations at all, they're just told that they need to take medication, or whatever, some certain therapies, so they can, you know, behave in more neurotypical ways, because, you know, this modern society we live in, wants everyone to follow these certain neuronormative molds. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, a lot of schools, a lot of people don't have that privilege. You know, they are forced to go through school without many accommodations at all, which would be very helpful if they had them. And they just have to make things work. Um, which is really unfortunate, but uh, it is the reality um, that we face. But, you know, slowly, you know, we, we, we do have hope because these things are slowly but surely beginning to change. So I personally am hopeful that, you know, we, we're moving in the right direction and soon enough we'll get there. Anyways, um... I touched on this in the last episode, but I am uh, pretty awkward with uh, goodbyes, so I don't do much of a, a closing um, for my my episodes, so um, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, stay tuned for the next episode, which should be coming out soon, um, and I'll see you next time.